And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great, Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week we're discussing season one, episode three. This episode is titled Marriage of Figaro, and it was written by Tom Palmer and directed by Ed Bianchi. And Melissa, before we go any further, I... Well, I guess I'll both you and Annie, but particularly you and Apology. So oh. let's let's go back however long it was till our last episode. I don't want to timestamp this. Um, and you asked if Paul Kinsey, who was our nice Seth Cohen toxic nice guy from episode two Ladies Room, if that was the, the non-generic mediocre white man that Joan referred to as her mistake in the office in the pilot, to which I said, no, I don't think so. And I said some nice things about future knowledge, like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> well, Melissa, Annie, and our, I'm assuming now you're loyal readers, unless the, or loyal listeners, unless this is your first time. So mm-hmm. welcome. We own up to our mistakes on Still Great Bob, which makes us great. Why are men great? To the, you know, they got to be great. Um, no, but Melissa, you were 100% correct. That was Paul Kinsey that... Joan referred to as her mistake. So that makes her kind of look um, when she sees Peggy talking to Paul last episode. Interesting. So I'm sorry. I'll be better. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Matt. Um, Also, because I don't know if this is going to make it into the rest of the episode. um, I do just want to point out that Paul Kinsey is back to lighting Joan's cigarettes in the office by this episode. (laughs) (laughs) They've worked it out. (laughs) <laughs> they seem fine. If they can, if those two crazy kids can make it through such a tough time, I think we can too. <laughs> There's well, well, hope for us all. Well, they were the original, like you know, work wife, work husband relationship, right? That that was they invented that in 1960. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so Marriage of Figaro. It originally aired on August 2nd, 2007. The hit movie the following weekend at the box office was The Bourne Ultimatum, which would dethrone last week's winner, The Simpsons Movie, as the king of the box office. And it pushed out I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, which is a movie that I'm sure doesn't hold up, out of the top three, and it's now at number four. The hit song that week remained at number one was Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees, but come back next week, because I peeked ahead, we have a new number one, and it's definitely a song I forgot existed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, in this episode of Mad Men, Pete is back, y'all, and like super married now, you guys. Meanwhile, Peggy, Joan, and the other women of Sterling Cooper dive into radical feminist literature. Rachel takes us on a tour. We learn everything and nothing about Don yet again, and the neighbors get together to celebrate Sally's birthday and also are the worst. Going into this episode, um, it's titled The Marriage of Figaro. This is a opera by Mozart that's, you know, based on a play. I read a little bit about it. I'm not sure if I can cohesively tie this title into the episode. Do you guys have any ideas about this? <sighs> you kind of got me. I mean, I never, I don't really know the uh, the opera very well. I think I saw a barber. Oh, about, would like, you like years, a, years ago. Would you like a short summary? I would love a short summary. Here's a quick synopsis of like the wrap up of this opera. So. Um, the Count, 
which in my mind is like the Lord, um, tries to compel Figaro to legally marry a woman old enough to be his mother. But it turns out at the last minute that the woman really is his mother. And through Figaro and Susanna's clever manipulations, the Count's love for his Countess is finally restored. So basically, this Count wanted to cheat on his wife with Figaro's wife, and they do all these plots to land everybody in the respective relationship that they belong in. (laughs) Ah, So you have a a man held in high esteem who wants to cheat and then doesn't in the end. Yes, Yes, and he doesn't because of the machinations of his two servants that have gotten married. So there's a lot going on in the opera. There's a lot going on in this episode, and I'm having a hard time. (laughs) I I agree that it's tough to find a a one-to-one comparison, but I keep coming back to the idea of, like, fidelity and and, and honesty, and we have the... uh, the famous Volkswagen ad of, of lemon and that whole conversation that, that Pete has when he comes back from his honeymoon about, about honesty. And you have this, the stuff we'll talk about later with um, Rachel and Don and things happening, but then not happening. So like, is it about honesty and what and fidelity and what, what brings us in and ties and the forces that we push against and then the manip- clever manipulations um, that bring us back together. Like, I, I don't know. I, I can't find a one-to-one comparison. I don't, I don't know Mozart well enough aside from he was the machine gun Kelly of his day. Right, Melissa? Yes, correct. Yeah. So if any of our listeners have an idea of, of why this episode is, is titled and if there's an, a quick one-to-one comparison, you can find us on Twitter at, at still great pod and uh, fill us in and we'll, we'll get back to you at some point. All right, cool. So to start the discussion of this episode, um, yeah, we are going to talk about uh, the honeymoon kid himself returned (laughs) from his time off work. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Pete's back. He's got visitors in his office. Um, You know, Pete's back. Pete's back and everyone is terrible. What struck me about Pete upon his return is that he is immediately acting like a completely different person. (laughs) Um, So we saw him send this postcard, which was just pure, gross, unfiltered Pete. And now the guys are kind of ribbing him in the elevator and asking him, you know, about his honeymoon. And he says things like, a gentleman doesn't discuss this. And he's acting all coy about it. And I think it's really interesting. And in the first scene, um, I can't really, you know, we can't really tell why he's acting like this. It seems a little ridiculous. I know I was thinking like, oh, now you're a gentleman. Like, Mm -hmm. um, he talks about the marriage ceremony being like a baptism. Um, but then once we see, um, him, you know, going through his day at the office, I feel like I kind of get an idea about why, um, he's acting like a changed man. And that's because, you know, we already know that he is trying to emulate and follow in Don Draper's footsteps. And I think that he believes that, you know, now being a married man, that puts him on, I guess, what would closer or, <clears throat> excuse me, that puts him on what would be closer to equal footing yeah. with Don. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's about like he's reached this like, 
unlock this different achievement or reach this different life stage. So, like, when you're looking at all the things that the, the other middle executives, like he's a junior executive or whatever his position is, but, like, Don would have or Roger would have, it's like they have the career, they're married, they have family. So now Peter's on his way, so he's he's closer to being what he wants for his, his life is, and this is where he's, like, again, I think it goes into the idea of, like, he's acting a part right it's like mm-hmm. oh i'm married now and i i can say oh yeah i've been new baptized and the vows mean something and everything else but really it's at least in my read is about him acting a certain way and he he can use that to further himself cuz he has that conversation where i think where he's meeting with don later it's like oh we should go for dinner with our wives yeah. and blah 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 right so it's i think it's still about peter and furthering what his goals are so i agree with you there He's fallen to that trap that a lot of like normally women are painted to be falling for, you know, that like marriage is going to change him. So he's like, oh, I'm a different person. I've leveled up. I'm on the same level now as someone like Don, like you were saying, Matt, or like um, Roger. But he's still shitty Pete on the inside is the problem. And so he can try to reach out for, you know, the approval that he just so desperately wants, but he isn't going to get it because he's still the exact same person no matter what he's saying after his wedding. He makes the comment about how he had never seen Don turn that switch right. with with women. Um and I immediately thought like, "Oh, did you get married because like, Don Draper was married, and you just want to be just like him, and, like, now that you realize that Don flirts with girls, like, you are mad, and you want to flirt with girls? (laughs) (laughs) Promises were made, not lived up to. No, I really loved how, when he was talking to Don, how he's just like, man, Trudy is, like, funnier than I thought. It was really surprising. I was like, have you not met your wife? Or some, like, I'm genuinely not entirely sure. Yeah! It's like he's surprised his wife is a human being. Yeah. Or, like, he's so terrible, she probably wasn't comfortable telling him jokes before they got married. Oh, that's also a possibility, too. <laughs> but I, I would like to meet Trudy. I, we will eventually. Spoiler alert. And you'll um, God, I find her charming. But, like, the other thing, too, so, like, he finally, like, Peter with, um, uh, and Ken continues to be gross as well um but like and then with harry and then and kinsey like he like peter eventually acquiesces to their their desire for for dirty details for for the kissing and telling as as they say about it and like peter gives them like a little bit um not apparently the same type of story with as with the coke check girl with the um tangerine color underwear but he gives them like this, uh, like this, like censored version of what he thinks they want. But I fully believe that they did everything that Trudy had on the map. I, I think Peter's totally yeah. telling them what they want to hear. Oh, they, yeah. they they did the boat tour. They took the photos. <laughs> they like they did it all. All right, like so. I have. It just really reminded me of that scene in Greece where Danny is just like, "Hey, man, guys, I don't want to tell y'all yeah. that. I, I don't need to tell you all the pervy details." And they're like, "Yeah," and he's like, "No, we just like super held hands a lot." One thing I did want to talk about with Pete was when one, everyone just like is treating him so differently. Like I said, it was like the boys in Greece, it was all the other T words and whatever. Um, but then at some point, someone says, "I guess people missed you," and in my note, I said, "Probably not." Probably not. <laughs> um, in the background, we know. Um, 
I'm probably going to start doing this now. I'm going to start noticing all the people of color in the background who all have no lines. So you've got the guy in the elevator who is operating it. He's just, he's still snickering and smiling away and laughing at yeah. the other guys. And I just went, not you too, dude. Um, and then he like goes in his room and there's just, you know, an Asian family dressed up in like looking like they're from some documentary uh- in Mongolia. And I'm just trying to remember how it was so bad. I'm trying to remember what my reaction was when I first saw this. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing that I have in my notes here, which is seriously, what the fuck? Yeah, that's bad. Like, I'm trying to wonder if people I wish I could go back or I want to go back and see if people were like, oh, that was kind of awkward. And boy, weren't things funny and weird. And that would super fly in the 60s. But now but now I'm like, we really probably should have been more upset about that. They well, are all laughing and clapping about that, too. Like, they are the most clever people on the planet. Like, you're all morons. Well, and then the episode doubles down on it later when Roger shows when, like, when, like, well, I guess Roger's already in the meeting, but when Pete shows up late to the meeting that he wasn't on the guest list for because he was out of town, he, like, says, like, oh, I was busy getting the um, the Asian people out of, out of my office. And Don makes this really racist joke about the, well, hey, I still needed my laundry done or whatever. So, like, yeah. the episode, have, like, doubles down. down on the comedy. I want the yeah. Chinaman out of the building by lunch, and Don says, I'm still waiting for my shirts. Everyone laughs. Yeah. And then when Pete arrives, he said, I took the Chinese out of the building, but I have a feeling I'll want to take them out again in an hour. Something like that. that that's, yeah, like, that's yeah. Okay, it's not even funny, and like I get their whole like, man, we were super racist back in the sixties, and just now, even though it's like, oh, it's historical, people are like that. I'm like, no, now it just makes me exhausted to hear it. I'm like, really? I, I get would be it. interested to know how historical this is, and I feel like this is an example of something that's not still great. Yeah, but I just wanted to make sure we didn't slide past that like the show does. Just like, wow, this is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're so right. Yeah, there's so many moments in the show. Um, In this episode, I noticed a few more where they're like, hey, guys, the 60s, weren't we like crazy and backwards then? And it's supposed to be very like, wow, we are so different now. But, you know, like um, Francine having a cocktail while super pregnant and you know, slapping that one kid in the face when he w- was misbehaving and people just being That's like... That's not even your kid! Yeah. yeah. That's not even his dad, yeah. It's one of those yeah. moments where just, like, I get you're trying to tell us that it was a different time, but also I'm like, do we really have to be doing all of this? It's all so shoehorned in there. It just, it just drove me crazy. Like, you... At, in no point in history do I think that you could smack other people's children. No. Like, I will concede that maybe you could smack your own kid at one time in the past. <laughs> And it was just so awkward with the guy's just like, hey, what's happening here? And he's like, oh, okay. Cool, carry on. That's just my son. Yeah, and in that same scene, he says, go get your mother so she can clean this up. Bitch, you have hands. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Those moments were just like so clunkily done that I'm like, I get what you're trying to do, but I can also see what you're trying to do from like a mile away. I need you to chill out. What did did you folks think about Peter's kind of addressing his what actions and and the choices that he and Peggy made in in the first episode, because what what does he say? He says like, "I'm married now." We like what happened didn't happen, or this can't happen, or she says, you know, he never actually like gets out. I his like intention with this conversation, but he says, 
you know, I'm married now. And she says, I know. And he was like that night when I came over before and he like doesn't even get his sentence out. And she just goes, Pete, I understand. It never happened. So yeah. like even even in that moment when he's the one who did the bad thing and he's the one who now has to do like the awkward thing of going up to a person who did nothing wrong because like she's not in a relationship so if she wants to tell everybody about this technically like she can because you know she's not going to be like quote unquote in trouble for it but you know he's the one who needs to be like hey i'm sorry now i have to do this like super dirtbaggy move of asking you to keep it a secret but he can't even do that because he's a coward and she covers for him she's still doing the heavy lifting yeah yeah the the emotional yeah the emotional labor is put back onto her and he probably now feels like oh oh good we had that talk great right and i just i loved that was such a fantastic moment i thought such a quietly brilliant moment for elizabeth moss in her performance because just like you can sense everything about what she's going through in that moment that tension and excitement and anticipation even if she probably knows that you know something is going to happen here that she's not going to like and just the way she's propping herself up internally when you can tell she's also just super crushed but not trying to show it and trying to be like, of course, I'm just like a modern woman. This is a thing. I get it. But you're like, oh, my gosh, I need to give you a hug right now and also punch Pete. But that's like my baseline for Pete. Right. And her face just so subtly falls. It's really good. She's I so mean, good. Elizabeth Moss is great. You guys, did you know that? Hot take. Elizabeth Moss is great. Has been for a while. <laughs> And one more thing about Pete before we move into more of the Peggy stuff. He's getting ready to leave the office. Everybody's going out, but he says that, you know, he's not going out because he has a wife at home and he's very excited for the dinner that she's cooking. But he decides to stop and look at Peggy directly in her face and say, you look nice, which, dude, why? Such a moment of him trying to be all like, hey, here's my dick. I'm choosing to take it home. (laughs) Just so you all know. Yeah, but also, Peggy, please think about me and how I told you that you look pretty. Yeah. It's like, hey, I I noticed you noticing me, and I noticed you too, but I'm leaving. Yeah, (laughs) no, totally. It's like... Do I want to use this as an example? It's like he's trying to, like, plant the seed for later or, like, is still... Yeah. implying not maybe ownership but like some control like yeah exactly exactly he definitely wants her to s- he f- i think that he feels like he is like leaving her breadcrumbs yeah 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 i wish that she would have just been like all right that's cool this never happened but also never talk to me again yeah yeah. yeah, especially since she was the one who actually got the words out, like you were talking about, Melissa, who said, it's fine. You know, she in that moment, she was the stronger one. So he has to be, you know, kind of peacock and, and show off a little bit. But I think he was just feeling also separated from all these like people, single, unmarried people having fun and talking to each other. He has to walk past them and he's not a part of it anymore. He can't be part of it. And, I'm not breaking up with you. You're breaking or you're not breaking up with me. I break up with you. 
Yeah, and he has that weird talk with Harry where, like, Harry has the, the lollipop and there's the good joke about putting the junior back in the junior executive because Harry's trying to quit smoking. Um, but, like, Harry talks about, I'm not good at flirting. I can't turn it on when they're talking about, like, they've never seen Dawn, like, mm-hmm. go full Dawn before. It's like, I'm talking about enjoying the company of women in the limited way a married man, married man can. And then, yeah, I just think that that's interesting that Peter seems to, over the course of, you know his 20 minutes or whatever in his section of the episode we've kind of gone full circle where we're back to the pete he wasn't trying to be when he started work at the beginning of the day and then who he really is we're seeing as he leaves at the end of the day over the course of what the seven and a half hours he's probably been there right so yeah it's so weird too because you're like at first you may want to think well the little shiny image he has of Don seems to be falling away where he's talking about like, Oh, I've never really seen Don switch it on like that with someone. Um, at the same time, you're like, what? he knows that Don has slept with other women outside of his marriage though. So it's like, he's, yeah, he's heard rumors, right? Yeah. yeah. And he, well, cause in the first episode when he was talking about Peggy, he's like, Oh, are you sleeping with her already? Oh um, yeah. So I've been trying to understand the whole like his his disillusionment that Don's not this perfect thing or maybe it's because or maybe he thought um in the past it was probably just sex with Don but now he's like maybe Don actually just like isn't happy and wants things outside of his own marriage and perfect little life yeah I agree with that and you know he's bummed that he can't go out with all the single people so you know he has to go home and they're all going out without him but he, I know he he had to have known that that stuff was going to happen when he got married. But I bet that he didn't expect Don to still not want to be his friend. Because <laughs> I, I think that maybe he thought he was going to be like trading in these single after work activities for mm-hmm. double dates with Don and his wife. But, you know, he kind of got shot down from that. And now he just has to go home and eat his, you know ribeye in the pan with butter which and ice cream sounds delicious <laughs> right yeah that sounds great i think pete has a problem of not being able to see people as people they are kind of just like obstacles it's like in a game where you have to hit certain you know hit a certain number of points to level up you have to achieve certain um you know complete certain missions to get this power or that power and move on I don't think he actually is seeing people as as John Green would say, imagine them complexly. Um, I don't think he has that ability. He just sees these marks that he thinks he has to make. And then he's achieved, you know, a certain level of humanhood. Right. Yeah. Totally. So enough about Pete. Um, let's talk about his not girlfriend, Peggy. And Lady Chatterley's lover. Mm, hello. Peggy Peggy visits the uh, <laughs> office library today. So uh, for anyone who isn't like super familiar with Lady Chatterley's lover, it was a book that was published, I think, in the 1940s. It was almost immediately banned. It's a book that, uh, as far as I'm aware of, I've seen the Sean Bean and the Richard Madden versions of adaptations of these. There's a lot of uh, doing it. And it, a lot, there's a lot <laughs> of like, it's a lot about like, female's pleasure and um you know love connections between these two people who are of different classes and the uh, uh, lady chatterley is as you can probably guess from the name married to lord chatterley 
And there's a whole bunch of other stuff about them being unable to fulfill certain marital obligations, like having an heir, uh, which I only just remembered this very second. Um, there was a lot of explicit language in it, a lot of um, the male character, Oliver, Oliver Mellers, pleasuring his uh, lady. Uh, so it got kind of steamy for some people to read that book. It was, it, it's, it's probably a lot of that, like, pulling it out of your pocketbook, slipping it into someone else's pocketbook kind of thing, beyond like, it's good, just don't tell anyone. So it's it's smut is what you're saying. It's to me. so much smut. In case anyone is <laughs> for anyone wondering, the word that Joan was probably referring to when she was um, showing Joan and trying to ward her off or scare her off is cunt, which is ni- used in a very nice, pleasant kind of context and not in the terrible kind of context. Yes, yeah, so there you go. Why do we think that that Joan was trying to like censor Peggy away from the? Uh, oh. The office group book share. Like, was it, was it her, like, deciding that for Peggy that, like, Peggy was too, in her, in Joan's estimation, like, prudish for it? Or was it, like, a way for Joan to exercise kind of power and kind of gatekeep Peggy? Like, what do we think about that? I kind of think she's just being an asshole. (laughs) Like, I feel like Joan kind of gets off a little bit on just like what's the word I'm looking for just like giving Peggy shit Mm -hmm. Joan has a very paternalistic relationship with Peggy very condescending and I think it does kind of reaffirm her position of power in this like mini um, structure that they have going on as far as the women go Um, and it is and I think you know humiliating her like that embarrassing her being like oh you're just like too much of a prude to like get this is a way of kind of asserting that i think right and then there's when they were talking in the the lunchroom or whatever um the comment is made don't don't read that book on the train it could attract the wrong kind of crowd and they talk about the novel being a fantasy and this idea of like they're both they're both characters in the novel are are married and it's this kind of like other thing textual outside that and what kind of pinged for me was actually (laughs) was actually fan fiction to to be honest because that idea of like um fan fiction like developing and primarily like you know from from star trek and stuff at the time but the idea of women were writing themselves were primarily writing fan fiction to insert themselves in the type of stories that in like in the case of star trek in the 1960s they weren't included because the the cast you know in star trek is predominantly it's very diverse but it's predominantly male but the way that they were talking saying don't read the book on the train it'll attract the wrong kind of crowd it also reminded me of kind of the kind of way fanfic can be be passed around and it's private and you necessarily don't want to to share what you're reading or what fanfic tags or what ships you're necessarily like searching for or looking into um for fear that if you were to be you know with widely kind of displaying that or saying hey i read this really good fic and i'm going to share it and there was some kind of you know activity that 
maybe some people would kink shame you for or judge or, you know, you were worried about kind of potential kind of blowback or, or judgment from that. And it kind of reminded me of the ways we're still impacted by purity culture today for all of the strides of the, the sexual, resolu- rev- resol- well, sexual revolution, excuse me, that kind of what happened later in the 60s and, you know, all the progress we've made today. There still is that kind of purity culture and that kink shaming that we're still kind of entrenched with today, unfortunately. For sure. And I mean, when you think about romance and a lot of it gets uh, kind of negated as a a significant uh, creation of value, a lot of it is just women enjoying themselves, exploring things that make them happy and that they enjoy and things they may not have actually, you know, that people, as you said, people may shame them for. It's raising certain expectations for their partners or for what they see in their life. It's just pure enjoyment of like not necessarily of just being female it's just it's just what most primarily women enjoying themselves and you just reminded me of when I was doing my internship in the in the emergency room and this was at like the height of 50 shades of gray and you just see these women from like Uh their 30s to 60s you know it's a quiet time because this was in a small rural hospital where nothing happened. You know, they're like, well, the computers just went down. going to pull out my book. But, I mean, that was also a book that there are far racier things out there. But it was something that kind of hit that right tone at the right time. And, it, you know, people were starting to have Kindles and other kinds of e-readers so they could just read whatever the hell they wanted. And so people did. Yeah, I thought about Fifty Shades of Grey during this scene as well because, you know, during the height of that book, there was a lot of people joking about reading it on their Kindle instead of in a hard copy or, Mm -hmm. you know, putting it inside of, like, another book if they're reading it, like, on a plane or whatever, (laughs) you know, just... It's like those jokes are innocuous, but really think about, like, why you feel ashamed to be reading whatever you're reading Mm -hmm. in public. Um, and then another point I wanted to make was when they're talking about the book, they they make a comment about men should read this, but they never will. Um, and then when you were saying um, that, you know, about romance, it's a way for women to enjoy themselves and, you know, further from that, um, Fan fiction and romance writing is a way for women to explore their sexuality in a really Mm -hmm. safe environment and, you know, Mm -hmm. figure out what turns them on, figure out what they're interested in. Um, And I was recently involved in a conversation with a bunch of people who read fan fiction, and they were basically saying, like, fan fiction saves so many young women especially from the idea that it hurts your first time because there's really no reason for that to be true so if you if you learn about all of the the magical ways of foreplay which a lot of women are learning from literature because who do you talk to about this so like even in the 60s women were kind of keyed into this like I wish my husband would read this book about female pleasure and then maybe we would all be having a better time oh yeah no I think quite certain I learned far more about sex and the just general basic workings um, from fan fiction than from, you know, school, work, uh, mom, TV, any of that. Um, yeah. 
from literally anything else (laughs) literally anything else not even like instructional things of like oh getting to know your body no it's just all like fanfic (laughs) fanfic sometimes it doesn't even involve any women at all but still learning a little bit more uh and it is (laughs) as you said a safe place where everyone's involvement or, or everyone involves their all their pleasure and enjoyment and um uh, uh, entitlement to all of that are equal, which is kind of amazing. Like, it's basically required in romance. They all want to be that happy, and they all want to feel that good, and they are all are allowed to have that and give it to each other. And prioritize it. And it should be, you know, a requirement for life. But here we are. <laughs> but here we are. Not that far <laughs> off from back then. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Peggy ended up with the book. So Peggy is going to read this book, and she's going to realize that P is trash. And <laughs> hopefully we'll never have to talk about this again. <laughs> Certainly, I hope so. At the same time, I went back to, because I was like, when I was like, is it the word cunt that's in there a lot? And I went through the text, and I was reading some of it, and Oliver Mel- Mellers who, again, played by a young Sean Bean and a beautiful Richard Madden, both very attractive men, but they both sound like pirates. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It is not sexy at all. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much all that happens at Sterling Cooper in this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't take up a lot of time uh, at all. No, it really doesn't. And, you know, in the meeting, we see Pete um, really fixating on... Don and Rachel's, like, cute little cufflink flirting, and then he, you know, tells everyone in that meeting that he's going to her store in the afternoon, and Pete offers to walk her out, and, you know, Don says no, and walks walks her out himself, and then we see him go to Mencken's department store, um, and yeah, they're they're on a little afternoon date, and... I do want to point out that one moment in the scene where everyone's hedging and they're just like, no, I haven't been to the store. Don's the only one who actually sits up and goes, no, no, we haven't. No one's here. We'll fix it. Which I admit is another one of those moments where I'm like, oh, fucking hell, Don. Why do you actually have to be like an impressive person in this moment? Which it, it personally... Well, it's that, early in the episode, so... Yeah, which is a pattern he's established so far. But personally, that is some, you know, a moment a moment of integrity that usually does impress me. And it certainly impressed Rachel. Yeah. yeah she even says, um, you know, it, it's hard to get caught in a lie. And he makes a like little joke about that. She says, um, you know, the way you speak always, you know, brings my confidence back. And he kind of blows that off as well. But I don't really think that he feels oh. as casual about that as he makes it seem. He does not. No, he does not. It's a man who knows the game he's playing, and he's like MVP. Yeah, right. Well, and I, and I think that that stands out too. Like to reference the the meeting the meeting they had before about the laxative account where they end up just talking about Volkswagen, and Pete's like, "Hey, I think that this new this Volkswagen ad campaign is is great because it's about honesty, and you can laugh and have a joke, and you know everything else." And and Roger and Don are like, "No, this is crap," mm-hmm. but yet. X amount of time later in the episode, Don's the one taking Peter's advice because it furthers Don's ends. And like, again, I, th- I think that that's, that's good that, you know, he like 
faced it up and said, "Hey, no, we haven't been there. We screwed up. We're gonna we're gonna face it." But I I think that that is a signal to to us as the audience that Melissa, you're a hundred percent correct that like. John's doing the kind of false humility, ah shucks, ho hum, ha ha. That chicken's a junior executive, ha ha. Thing like I'll come tonight, I'll come this afternoon, and it's 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 to further an end for sure. Yeah. Right, and he already knew that Rachel responded well to like forthrightness and directness. So yeah, you know, he knew that it was a safe thing to say and that she would respond positively to him saying, yeah, you know, no one in this room has been to your store. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, again, I don't think these are things he's like making each of these decisions consciously. Like I'm sure he's, I have no doubt he's aware of these things, but of, you know, this is how Rachel responds to this sort of behavior. I do think that he is someone who just is so pathological and is so entrenched in his own personal lies to himself and to others that it's just so natural mm. to him. I don't think he even thinks right. about it anymore. This is just all just happening. I mean, he probably, part of him is going, mm, wait a second, but I think he doesn't put that much thought into it. And I do think there's a part of him who thinks of himself as this man of integrity, this guy who, you know, a soldier who fought for America, the guy who tells the truth and stands up when everyone else is like fudging around and being a coward. So a, a guy who, who stands up, you know, and when everyone's fudging around and, and is a leader among men, would you say he's, he's a knight? Ooh, would I? Would I say that? He certainly fits the bill. In some people's eyes, I think. They start their little flirting in the meeting because Don's cufflinks keep falling off. And he says, you know, I was raised that men don't wear jewelry, which I'm glad that he said that because I had been a little fixated on the fact that he didn't wear a wedding ring when so many of the other men in the show do wear one. (laughs) Um, But then he's in Mankins, and the first thing they do is Rachel takes him to... It doesn't seem like specifically a jewelry counter, but that's not really important. Rachel takes him... you know, they chit-chat with a, with a counter, with a saleswoman, and, and she, she brings up a, a tray of cufflinks, and Rachel picks a pair of cufflinks for him, and they are medieval knights. Mm-hmm. They're also super ugly. That whole tray was ugly. I think I understand. <laughs> They're super ugly. I think I understand why she's drawing some of the, you know, the less safe, the crowds she's not super interested in because it's so kitschy and taggy. I'm so sorry, Rachel. But um, yeah, I thought that a little bit too. Also, real quick before I forget, uh-huh. uh, they make the comment about Henry Bendel being one of her competitors in that meeting, and Henry Bendel closed its doors as a company in January of 2019. Wow! So that's just a fun real world fact for you. That's not a long time ago at all. Wow! It was a tense moment because, like the chemistry and electricity coming off of both of them is so palpable from the first glances that they were stealing um, from each other during the meeting but it also reminded me of like every scene where you see a couple looking at engagement rings in the jewelry store Mm. with just the way they were standing you know like shoulders overlapping the wry smile over the shoulder it's just like oh no we're going there we're going there fast no and it's just it's interesting to me that she picks them out and like again maybe maybe it's calculated by dawn to let her or maybe it, not let her but to you know in 
to be more, what am I trying to say, to be more passive in that situation and see what she picks. But, and like, yeah, the other ones weren't really my style either, but I don't know, just the knights, like for them to choose, like the the writers to choose a medieval knight out of all of the different, like, you know, things they could, like it could have been maybe like a cowboy hat or, or, or something equally like on the nose and, and kind of clunky. It just... It just really stood out to me, and then especially later when they are meeting the the security dogs and ha- about to have the the moment we'll talk about later. But Rachel's talking about her her upbringing at the store and how her her mother died in childbirth, and she she kind of definitely. I don't know. It's like she she's saying how it was kind of like a bit of like a lonely way to grow up. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think it's fair to say that you know. I'm assuming her dad really threw himself into the work when her mom died. She has her sister, but she makes some some comment about, well, you know how sisters are, or or something to that effect. And she's really like talking about how the do- the original um, guard dogs, the German shepherds or Belgian whatever's they are dogs that they are, um, were kind of her friends and her soulness and and her company. And I don't. I don't know if I necessarily think this is a great one-on-one read, but, like, I wonder if it informs Don's next choice, where if Don's seeing himself as a knight or feels like maybe Rachel sees him as as this kind of, like, knight among, you know, the the mediocrity of of the junior execs at Sterling Cooper, um, if it informs his next choice to rescue her from what he perceives the loneliness of of her tower is or the store and he he has this line what does he say to her don't tell me you're ever unloved and then that informs what what he does next so i'm wondering does does don view himself as the knight do we think that rachel views him as a knight is it kind of both of them constructing this 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 kind of image together i don't know what do we what do we think about that I really think it's both of those things. I don't know if Don would have maybe been as brazen about this if she would have picked a different cufflink for him. Um, But she is definitely encouraging this in a pretty significant way. Um, Later, she even says, like, I shouldn't have brought you up here. She's giving him merchandise, and it's something with a a deeper meaning. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. (laughs) Kind of like in the sliding doors way. What if she picks something else? Um, I'm still not sure if Don just likes being seen because again he likes being the hero he i'm not sure if he's just like he's almost as into being seen as this chivalrous uh ideal of integrity and morality and heroism um if he likes being that hero uh to someone who is or you know he perceives to be quite strong herself um or if maybe in the end the reason why he actually goes wait a minute this is actually kind of wrong. We shouldn't do this. I don't want to mar you with my own weird bullshit. If she hadn't done that, would he have stopped himself? Would he have had that in that forefront of his mind and been like, mm, maybe I can't, maybe I, you know, I won't be the person that she thinks I am if I continue with this. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that read. And it, it's what stood up for me. So like, is he has that, 
that moment where, where, where they kiss. And then it's like, right after he's like, then he has this moment of, of again, like this whole theme of like kind of honesty and fidelity coming back up where he's honest and says, I'm married. And Rachel's like, I should have known or, 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 or something to that effect. Yeah, no. Right. And it's like, would we don't see him necessarily having that same kind of moment with, with Midge. Cause that, that relationship has been ongoing for a while, it seems. Right. Mm-hmm. So, is it because he views himself as this this knight, or he thinks more importantly that she views him as this the chivalrous sort of sort of character that 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 informs his choice to be be honest? Is he because because I don't know if he's necessarily the type to worry about getting caught in infidelity because he feels like he has it all controlled and his life is so compartmentalized. I don't know. I do feel he's definitely that kind of guy who um, who keeps like. Being like, oh man, this this was a bad thing. I shouldn't have done this. I feel so guilty. I, I shouldn't have done it. Really sorry I dragged you into it. Uh, I'm really sorry I dragged you into this. And then he like does again. He has another affair. Just goes through the whole cycle over and over. Even though he definitely has a choice in the matter, still does it. When he says I'm married, the next thing he says is that shouldn't have happened. And the first time I watched the episode, I thought, hmm, do you mean the kiss that just happened or the whole marriage? Hmm. Also interesting how he said that shouldn't have happened as if he had no, um, as if he had no coaching like, the situation. did you not just grab her face? Yeah, it, as if it just happened to him and to them. Although... Finger under the jaw, very sturdy, strong, the, 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 the solid voice. It was a pretty good moment. I probably would have kissed him, too. It's a good kiss. It's a really good kiss. Fuck you, Don. <laughs> no, it's so annoying. Um, but also thinking about uh, that shouldn't have happened, uh, when I'm thinking about that, maybe, maybe referring to his whole marriage, and, like, obviously not really, because I, I believe he loves his children or definitely his daughter, but it reminded me of at the very beginning of the episode, which we didn't talk about, when he takes on a secret identity for five seconds, and the guy on the train is like, oh, uh, you must still be a bachelor. Like, you're still so fit. Like, you're still in shape. Like, you're obviously not married because you're not fat and happy. Right. Like, it seems... At sometimes the Don is just not accepting that this marriage is a thing that has happened to him. Um, like he didn't actively choose it. Like it's just a thing that went down that he happened to be tied to. No. Yeah. Um. After his want... honeymoon, did he? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to take us on different topics. So continue. No, I was going to say, it, it just made me wonder that if after Don and Betty got married, um, did Don say to someone, she's funnier than I thought? Probably. Probably. Right? Because sometimes in that la- in last, in the previous episode, there were moments where they were just like joking around and just like, oh, it's actually kind of nice. I, I know. It still what? wasn't enough to be all like, oh, this is why you two got married. But it was, it was nice to see how they interacted and to at least seem to enjoy each other's company, if not actually really truly connect yeah well she one more thing before we move on from the rachel business 
He has those cufflinks on his bedside table. Yeah. That shot ruled. I love that shot. That shot ruled. That shot did rule. And it also ruled that that shot happens while Betty is saying, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but she basically says, like, I made you a breakfast, Sammy. And she's wearing all white and dealing with the white curtains. And it's just... Yeah, yeah and no. she's and he's not interested in this food that his wife made. He's interested in these cufflinks. Yeah. And it reminded me again uh, in contrast with how excited Pete was that his wife was cooking him dinner. <laughs> yeah. He's more uh, infatuated with this idea of perfection that someone thinks he is rather than the supposed perfection he has in his own life. If somebody tells me that they made me a breakfast, Sam, I'm hopping right up out of <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. It's like, I love you a little more uh, than I did yesterday. No, I just put that shot because he wakes up and it, it holds like the cufflinks around the nightstand just out of focus and Dawn's in focus. And then it transitions where Dawn becomes out of focus and what's in focus in the frame are the cufflinks just on the nightstand. And it's like, ugh, it's perfect. Yeah. Love it. It's good, yeah. But now it's morning, and it's someone's birthday. And they're getting the P-L-A-Y-H-O-U-S-E. Pony. Spells pony. <laughs> I did love that moment. It is, And it is such a very quick moment. You know, you see these flashes of how he plays with Sally and the other one. Uh, how he actually is, can be, a loving, affectionate, involved dad. Even if he's playing the part, it's probably good enough for his kids who can't see past that. And they seem to just enjoy their daddy. Who looks really good putting stuff together. Oh my god. <laughs> there's there's that shot where Francine and Betty are in the kitchen. And, and Don's been working for a while. And I think it's somewhere like where he corners around his second beer. Into his third beer. Mm-hmm. As he builds the playhouse. And his hair is kind of. His hair is like disheveled. And he's kind of sweaty. And he's in the t-shirt. And I'm like. I think I just moved on the Kinsey scale. <laughs> um, I'm just like. Reader I gasped. Um, but. Yeah, no. then I remembered what he did before, and it, it, it was it was fleeting, but there was a moment. Yeah, no, so. it was just very Captain America for me, just like all the things that I hold dear and make me just really proud to be an American. <laughs> and him standing there, posture straight, just like not overtly crazy Having great body, his but super still young great. daughter fetch him beers. It's the dream. It's genuinely America. Dream. It's all those like yeah. No, I don't think Norman Rockwell ever painted anything like that. But, it, like, if he did, if he was just a tiny bit gay, <laughs> super what he would have done. I'm sorry. Sorry. Well, and, like, right after that, there's, he's in the powder room and washing his hands and cleaning up and, like, doesn't want to touch anything. And, like, there's the, the nice pretty soap on the, the creepy hand soap dish. And it just, like... <laughs> It, like, kind of, like, a little bit reminded me of some of the stuff we were talking about last episode with with Ladies Room, and it's, like, where, like, Don doesn't want to touch anything because he feels like he will wreck it. And whether it's, like, he feels, like, bad he'll wreck it or because, you know, he'll pay or Betty will will say something or whatever because it's definitely felt like a space that she had cultivated because he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. He was really pounding those beers while making that playhouse, though, wasn't he? <laughs> He was. 
He was. Almost like he didn't want to go to his own daughter's birthday party or something. No, I mean, in fairness, the people who arrived at that birthday party seem terrible. The women are catty. The men have terrible jokes. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. And there's... Yeah. Don't... And the, and the one... And, and unfortunately, I can't... I should have I've looked up and up with the list of like, the names of, like, the neighbors and, and the other kids' parents. I don't care. But the one husband was like, I'm going to tell a joke. And his wife looks at him and is like, don't tell the joke. He's like, no, I'm going to tell the joke. And then, like, the look she gives him and he does it anyway. And the joke is terrible. And everybody uh, laughs. Well, all the men, except for the one husband who seems to genuinely like his wife. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, good. You're all unhappy. Great. He's the only one that doesn't laugh. Well, and it's and it's it's so it's it's funny, right? Because when I the second time I rewatched the episode, um, I tried to track the guests at the party because when Don's being very voyeuristic with the the camera and taking videos, and he catches Francine's husband, um, kind of making the moves or, or not kind of making the moves on Helen, planting seeds for for potentially later, and you see the the one married couple that are actually into each other and seemingly happy, kind of necking in the dining room. The first time I watched the episode, I had lost track of who was a couple with who. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, is that someone else's wife? And then I, when I, I watched it again the second thing. time, I, when I watched it the second time, I'm like, oh, no, they like are actually happy and are like tipsy at the party and are necking. Cool. They're my new favorite couple on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they love each other. They do the same thing. Yeah. And like that look on Don's face, that inscrutable look of just him, you know, one, intruding on such a personal private moment and two, witnessing something that he knows he has never touched or been a part of at all and being like, oh my God, there are actually people out there who have this in their marriage. This exists. And my living my lie has just been blown up in my face. Do you think that he's jealous? I don't know if he's jealous or if it's just realizing that Every time he's told himself that he's built the life that he's supposed to have, he's done everything he's supposed to have done. He's the person he everyone expects him to be. And it's it's just like it still wasn't enough and he still doesn't have that. He still has that emptiness inside that he hasn't been able to fill. Not with his wife, not with his perfect kids, not with his house and his wonderful job where everyone idolizes him. Still isn't enough. Him and Pete both are checking these boxes and it's just not adding up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens when you just try to live up to an ideal as opposed to just figuring out what it is that makes you happy and who you are. Not that people really had that much of a luxury in the 60s or even now. And like it, it, it's right after that moment he kind of puts the camera down and ends up being on like lifeguard duty with all the kids playing outside with the playhouse, right? And then Helen Bishop, the, the divorcee from down the street, comes and generally it's a scandal that, that she's there and all of these terrible people and everything else. But she's having a smoke and talking to Don. And she says, like, it's quite the crowd in there, hey? And Don makes the comment that was well, the same crowd out here because you're seeing the children playing house and what they're saying and what they're repeating and what they've absorbed from their own home life just furthers an extension of how broken some of these other relationships are with their parents, right? Yeah, Don makes that comment about, like, you know, how it's the same people outside as they are inside, and everyone's just becoming just mini versions of their parents, just really unhappy people falling into this 
these types, you know, the nagging wife and the layabout husband who's just kind of meh. Yeah, a husband that will not bring his tiny daughter a birthday cake. Fuck that guy. I just don't get it. <laughs> like, why? If you're going to leave at all and show up to the bakery and actually get the cake, how are you going to not come home? Like, you weirdo. I do think that Don is just living in eternal depression. Yeah. He is just that kind yeah. of person who gets clouded by, you know, your judgment, all your insight. You get that tunnel vision where it's just your own crap just you know blocking everything out and all you see is your own despair you don't as much as he knows he's supposed to be there for his kids and his wife and the people who depend on him depend on him at work he's still just gonna have a hard time seeing past his own despair no totally and i'd I'd forgotten that he took off with the cake and didn't come back so when i was watching the episode and like he pulls up to the house and you see the cake on like the passenger seat and it's like he decides to take one more loop around the block totally get it that party be a lot for me too bud like take that extra like 10 seconds or two minutes as you go around the block kind of reset yourself park and then have cake but then he does he doesn't come back and then he when he does come back Hours later, he has the puppy, or I guess it's more of an adult dog that it is. There's a puppy, and it's like, well, a dick move, bro. That's that's a like a joint decision that you have with your your partner, whether or not you do that. Because I don't think you're gonna be have to take care of it. Yeah, you're not say, taking don't think, care of that dog. Yeah, he's not picking up the dog shit, right? Like he's not. This, I mean, maybe and they'll hire like, someone to do she, that. But. You know, she's just like now these kids are gonna be wound up by this dog. Like the, all of these tiny creatures in my house are now going to be just constantly yeah. feeding off of each other's chaotic energy, and I'm going to be here by myself dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Great made, work, Don Draper. He's made her Betty's life harder to placate his own guilt, and I definitely think it's tied to the conversation about little girls needing dogs in their life with, with Rachel earlier, because Rachel's obviously still been on his mind since he woke up and looked at those cufflinks mm-hmm. on the nightstand. And it's like, here, I'm giving my daughter something that's important for little girls to have that someone told me. But it's like, does does Don really want that? Really? Does he want, does he need the dog? And he's projecting that onto Sally. Like all the things of like, what Rachel's saying about the I had a lonely upbringing so I hung out with the dogs and is it that is it Don's despair as you said Annie and his loneliness that he's like pushing on not pushing on but like he's projecting onto Sally so it's like he's like oh I was a real like shit or first what is what does the neighbor say when he like salutes Don for like not coming back with the drink like a a first class heel yeah. or cat or mm-hmm. something like that yeah. heel yeah it's like I know I'm a heel so I'm gonna go and like make up for my my shittiness by making my daughter happy which I'm then projecting my own unhappiness onto her and then making my spouse's life more difficult as a result of that choice yeah uh, so what he said, what Rachel said about a uh, dog, there a dog is all a girl needs. They will protect her and listen to her. So, I mean, it could just be bribery of I abandoned you. Please ignore that. Thank you. Um, and here is something to sweeten the pot. Or it is I am a terrible f- absent father, just like Rachel's father was. So may as well give her something. Because I guess it kind of worked on on Rachel, who is alone and unhappy. Yeah, Dawn is what made her unhappy. 
Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I think that Don is preemptively giving Sally the dog to protect her from any type of loneliness. Because, like you said, like, he's a depressed person. He's having a really hard time. Um, you know, we know that his wife is having um, a hard time vaguely. You know, we didn't really get back to that in this episode, although we did get some signs of Betty's anxieties, which I like that they kept, even though it's it's deeply in the background, but it's still there. Um, when Don doesn't come home with the cake, she asks the crowd, like, do you think he got in an accident? And then when he finally does get home, she has a hard time getting the gloves off because she's, you know, like shaky and worked yeah. up. And also, I mean, um, it does represent, she does, sorry, it does, um, I think, manifest itself, too, in the way she's overly pre- preparing for the party and making sure everything is perfect. Yeah, yeah. And just kind of, because I, I feel like everyone knows uh, at least a ha- one or two people who are like that, you know, or having the party, you know, or just worrying, just getting too into the details and forgetting the part that, like, parties are supposed to be for fun and you're supposed to enjoy it. It's just like, they have to be perfect. And she's just so wound up about it. Yeah, they have, they host the party, but they don't go to the party. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, but they become like staff. Uh, uh, about the dog, um, you know, Don being inspired by the story of Rachel deciding to get his own daughter a dog to protect her um, from, from loneliness could, I think, be classified as... Um, like nightly behavior also like he has he's determined now to see himself as this hero and like to do that all he really needed to do was bring the cake inside and be present for his family but what he decides to do instead is go to you know the nth degree and take a book or a page out of his you know not girlfriend's playbook and get this dog for his daughter so that she'll never experience any loneliness due to him. Yeah. Yeah, being present isn't something that Don does very well. So, you know, just talking about uh, Don's own depression everything. Um, Betty's the anxiety, Don's the depression in my mind. Did anyone get any, like, vaguely suicidal vibes when he was at the train tracks? I didn't really think about that. It didn't, like, hit me really strongly, but there was a part of me where it felt like he was on the cusp of making a decision. I'm not sure what it was. Mm -hmm. I don't know necessarily if it was suicidal. Um, But he just felt like he was reaching a point where he was fairly desperate. I just, I mean, I can't really pinpoint for what exactly, but there was something happening there where it was very, it felt like higher stakes. It doesn't feel, it's mm-hmm. not a show that really has high stakes, you know, like on a bigger drama, but it felt like it to me. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be something really interesting to uh, look out for in the small moments in his behavior going forward, mm-hmm. because I didn't really think much about Don as a person with depression until we kind of started talking about this episode, but all of those pieces are really fitting together now that we have been discussing it at length. Well, because if you um, consider the just the opening credits, which are so iconic for the show, you know, it's a man falling out of a building, kind of an endless mm. drop, 
and you know more than once you know the, the credits end in the image of a man sitting in his chair you know the back you know you're seeing him from the back and it's a silhouette and more than once from the very beginning they reference that image and that image is usually Don in a chair smoking contemplating so it's like is he that guy who's just con- who's just free falling and feeling like he's out of control and just waiting for the big end on a lighter note can we talk about how great Helen Bishop's outfit was can we talk about how uh, great like Helen her? is in general yes yeah. Yes. Okay. She's the only person at this party I'm trying to hang out with. She's amazing. I love how coolly she kind of bats everything away. Like Francine goes for it with her, just really real catty, yeah. not even like subtly. Oh. But Helen just kind of does her thing. I just fucking like to walk, guys. Well, and then when Carlton is making the pass at her, she totally like gives it right back to him in this way that it's like we want. We were talking about earlier about like wanting Peggy to kind of push back on Pete mm-hmm. more instead of like taking on the emotional labor of that, or instead of like what we've seen other characters in previous episodes where they didn't just downplay the the caddish behavior, but like Helen just gives it right back to Carlton to Francine's husband and like, oh well, then I'd come along with you. Like basically, this is what you want, and like screw off. And he's like, oh oh well, don't don't tell my wife I said anything I didn't because she sees right through his like entendres right and so like that was that was nice to see on the show i thought i love how mad he gets yeah uh that reminded me of like i don't know like a tweet or like a tumblr repost i saw one time that was like next time somebody makes a like problematic or offensive joke to you act like you don't get it and watch them struggle (laughs) to explain it to you (laughs) it's good that is also good for Um, racist jokes yeah yeah no, I love it because he's like, it's not subtle what he's trying to do here. But when she actually lays it out and puts it into concrete words, this is what you want. This is what yeah. you think is going to happen. This is what you hope I play along with. I'm not going to play coy. He's so angry and it's so great. Yeah. Got called yeah, and, just, and, and like the costuming choices that they make too, right? Where like all the other women at the the adult women at the party are wearing dresses or skirts and they dress Helen in pants is that kind of on the nose visual visual cue that like obviously she's different and um they wanted actually the actress who plays Helen Bishop is Darby Stanchfield Strandfield not sure if I'm pronouncing that properly and probably not but they wanted to cut her hair a little bit shorter to do more of the kind of you know late 50s early 60s kind of I don't want to be a kind of curl up or uh, whatever whatever that that hairstyle is called and the actress didn't want wasn't willing to to cut her hair so that's why her hair is so much longer and again it's a nice visual clue to how more i guess modern helen is in in contrast to to some of the other women at the party which i thought was me well being a little bit on the nose i just like costuming and and visual cues like that because not only is it helpful it's i don't know i just Things that aren't necessarily the writers, it's the other cross people in the show too, right? So right. it's a little less put together. I mean she has two kids. Who has time for all that? Yeah. Yeah, and Glenn's wrinkles. Oh Glenn. They were they weren't they were noticed by the other ladies, but I, I appreciated Glenn's wrinkles. I don't always iron. I get I it. never iron. I feel like Glenn is the kind of <laughs> I'm always wrinkly. I'm surprised Glenn wasn't ironing it himself. Oh. Betty was so nice to her. She was. I just she want to tried. give Betty props for that. She invited her to the party. I don't 
necessarily believe that she felt forced into it. Like, I had to. I ran into her or whatever. I thought, even from the first time we see Betty talking about Helen, that she was really interested in this, like, independent woman. And um, she's so nice to her about the Christmas paper, too. Yeah. I think she tries. And like you said, I don't, I also agree. I don't think she felt was forced into it. I think she must have, like, felt sorry for her and is interested in this woman who's capable of doing her own thing without a husband and is clearly very capable of taking care of herself. Yeah. Francine's the worst. Yeah. Oh, my God, Francine. Yeah. I mean, I love Anne yeah. Dudek, but fucking Francine. So uh, we also got our first appearance of Glenn and his wrinkled clothing. He has a very grown-up face, I think, as a child. Striking. He's a striking kid. He's played by Martin Holden Weiner, who is, in fact, the son of the creator of the show. Well, there you go. Uh, one thing I did want to pick up on earlier, because um, you met, when you mentioned it, uh, about Dawn being mistaken for someone else called Richard or Dick Whitman um, by someone on the commuter train. And what did you, what did you, you said, Melissa, um, you thought he was like role playing and playing along? Oh, I said he took on a different identity or something like that. Yeah. What did you think of that moment? I have no idea. Like, for a second, I was like, is Don Draper the alias? But then I'm like, no, because the guy references, like, time in the military, and we saw Don Draper's Purple Heart addressed to Don Draper. So I don't know if Don, like, I don't know if Don just felt like, oh, here's a moment for me to be someone else. I, you know, I don't know. He is someone who likes to play different roles, as we've established. He's made of many, many compartments. Yeah, and I think in all the different realms and domains that that Don inhabits, there's definitely an element of, of kind of placating or being the person that the people around him see him as or necessarily want him to be. Right? Whether it's like you know with with Peter or with 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 Rachel, and kind of to a certain extent in his home life, I think this episode wasn't the as great an example of that as, as last week's episode was, but definitely Don likes an audience, I think, and to play to the, or maybe doesn't like an audience, but will play to his audience. Right. So, yeah. And that guy is now on his commuter train and he like, I believe that's him who he just kind of like acknowledges really quickly when he gets on in the morning at the end of the episode. It's like, Oh, so he gets to be a whole other person now too, just mm. getting to work mm-hmm. in the morning. And I thought it was like, I thought it was interesting. And he does it so yeah. easily too. But I did like um, the, huh. all the emotions playing in his eyes after it happens when the guy walks away, and he's just clearly turning it over in his head. Yeah, he's like, "What the heck just happened? What just happened? <laughs> what does it mean? Who am I?" Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we did it. Yay! Thank you guys um, so much for listening. If you made it this far to us, Babylon about the third episode of Mad Men. Um, in the meantime, Matt, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at, at Mattyhugh, that's M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And you can also find our podcast on Twitter as well at, at Still Great Pod. 
You can find me on Twitter or on Instagram at popartery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. You can also find me on my other podcast, The Daily Nightly, as we read through all of Jane Austen and all sorts of uh, related works. You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow. That's M-E-L-L-O-O Yellow. And you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast, which started as a Sharp Objects podcast, and we have kind of been snowballing with TV and movies since then. Um, And please rate and review the show and tune in next time when we discuss episode four. Later days. Awesome. Talk to you guys then. Jesse, if you're listening, I would totally do a musical podcast.